following message is from the 2015 IBCD Summer Institute, equipped to counsel. Uh, my name is Brian Borgman, and I pastor Grace Community Church in Minden, Nevada. And it is uh, it's great to be here. And we're going to uh, open in prayer. Our Father, we come into your presence and we, we thank you for the truths that we heard earlier tonight. We thank you for the revelation of your word. We thank you that you have disclosed yourself and, and truth to us through your word. And Father, we pray that as we uh, gather here tonight to think about uh, issues and counseling, we pray that you would give us help by your Holy Spirit. Father, we, we depend upon him, and we pray that you would uh, illuminate our hearts and our minds. And so we commit this time to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if, um, if you knew what I originally had titled this session, you might not have signed up. I, I think I originally told Craig, uh, how about something like um, a New Testament eschatological paradigm of the already and the not yet as it relates to forming a framework for biblical counseling? And Craig said, uh, how about just having biblical expectations in counseling? And so that's what we, that's what we went with. So, uh, imagine, it's not hard to imagine if you do any counseling at all, somebody comes in to you and uh, a wife, um, her and her husband come in and you sit down with them and you just ask them a real simple question. So, what do you expect that's going to come out of our time together? What do you expect from these sessions? And, of course, the answers are, are various, right? Um, she could respond in the way that Heath described life earlier, you know, everything being perfect. Um, but if her marriage is broken, she might just simply say, well, I expect um, my marriage to get fixed. Or I expect my husband to be changed. Or uh, I expect, and, and you just fill in the blank. And if you've done any counseling, you know that people come in and, and oftentimes, not always, oftentimes they will have expectations of what, uh, what is going to happen. And uh, basically, I want a better husband. I want a better wife. I want a better life. Well, expectations, obviously, in counseling are critical both for the counselor and for the counselee. And uh, what we're going to do is we're going to do a, a little theology because I think that, first of all, theology is always practical. And when we talk about biblical counseling, we should most always start with theology. But I think that there's a theological perspective in the New Testament that actually offers us a framework that helps us understand expectations, legitimate biblical expectations in counseling. And uh, that, uh, that framework is, is the structure of the already and the not yet. And so um, what we're going to do, if you could put the, the chart up, please. Um, this is in your notes as well. Um, I'm not a big uh, slide guy or PowerPoint person, but um, Craig asked me to send something, so I sent this. Th this is in your notes. What we're going to do is we're actually going to just very briefly, uh, as quickly as we can, kind of look at this um, biblical structure of the already and the not yet. And if you look in your notes or up on the screen, you'll see the, 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 the top uh, part is this age and the age to come. And of course, this age is marked by creation. Of course, old creation, which is marked by death, darkness, curse, Satan rules, age to come, messianic age, new age, resurrection, light, eternal life, Christ reigns. Now, what happens that from New Testament perspective, this age actually now is, is, is invaded 
by the age to come. And that invasion happens in the first advent of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if, if you're sitting here thinking, I thought this was a counseling conference, hang with me because this has everything to do with what you can tell your counselee. Right? So Jesus comes, first advent, the age to come is inaugurated. Uh, at the second advent, the age to come is consummated. And notice that gray area you have, the already and the not yet. And so when we think about this, um, first of all, the already. Um, I'm just going to give you a few examples of what we mean. The already of the kingdom of God, for instance. So the kingdom has been inaugurated through the death, resurrection, ascension of Jesus, and of course the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And so the age to come has invaded this present age. The kingdom of God has invaded this present age. And so we read, for instance, in Romans 14, 17, that... The kingdom of God is not in eating and drinking, but in righteousness and peace and joy in his Holy Spirit. And so when, of course, do we experience that righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit of the kingdom? Well, we experience it right now. And in fact, Colossians 1.13 tells us that we have been delivered from the domain of darkness and transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son. And so we experience present realities of God's kingdom. Even though God's kingdom is actually future, it has invaded the present so that we experience aspects of it. The already of salvation. How many of you are awaiting the new creation? Well, if you're a Christian, we're all awaiting the new creation. But the reality is, is that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation right now. And the old things are passing away. Behold, all things have become new. And so there's a sense. And by the way, when Paul says, if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creation. Paul's saying more than just you have experienced some sort of revolutionary transformation so that you're new. What Paul is saying is you are a person of a future new creation, but you're that person now. All right. So you are a person who has the reality of the future in the present. Um, circumcision, uncircumcision don't matter. What matters is the new creation. And that's Paul's way of talking about the future invading the present in salvation. Think about resurrection. How many of you would want to claim that you've already been resurrected? Well... Most of us look at the resurrection and we look at it as a future reality. But the fact is, is that Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we've actually been raised up with Christ. We call that resurrection regeneration. It is a real resurrection of the spirit, as it were. We have been raised up with Christ. And you can see the text there. Ephesians 2, 7, Colossians 3, 1, Romans 8, 11. We have experienced a resurrection, not a physical resurrection, which is awaiting the not yet, but a spiritual resurrection, which is a part of the already. Uh, think about the way the Holy Spirit is described for us. In the New Testament, Romans 8.23, the Spirit is actually described for us as the first fruits of the Spirit. What's the biblical significance of first fruits? Well, first fruits is in a sense what God um, blesses his people with initially, which is a precursor of a greater harvest to come. And so the Spirit has been given to us right now with even more to look forward forward to in the age to come. Or think of Ephesians 1.14. The Spirit has been given to us as an autobahn, a, a, a pledge, a down payment. Well, what is a down payment? What is a pledge? It is a security that promises the full payment later on. And in fact, both of those images 
of the Spirit, first fruits and pledge, are both profoundly already not yet images of the Spirit of God. And so, uh, think of adoption. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. Um, we are actually already adopted into God's family. God has already sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. And so right now we presently have the adoption as sons. You are a son or a daughter of God, fully adopted by the grace of Jesus Christ. What about justification? Are you justified right now? Absolutely. Therefore, having been justified, past tense, actually it's a perfect participle, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now think about justification for a moment. What is justification? Well, justification is, on the one hand, a pardon for our sins, but it's more than that. It's also the imputation of Christ's righteousness so that we are declared righteous. When will it ultimately matter that you're declared righteous? It will ultimately matter at the last day, at the final judgment. And so what justification is, is a, the, a last day verdict, which is still in the future, which has been brought into the present, so that you now actually presently fully possess justification. You fully possess the idea that you have been forensically declared righteous by God, not someday in the future, but right now. And so the already of salvation means that the powers of the age to come, the saving powers of God of the age to come, have actually invaded this present age. But there's also a not yet. There is a not yet to the kingdom of God. Paul talks in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses uh, 20 through 28, about a time in which Jesus needs to reign until all enemies are put under his feet. The last enemy to be defeated is death, and then the end will come. So we're actually looking to something, and if you look back up on the chart, what that is, of course, is the second advent, which ushers in the age to come. And so there is a sense of the not yet of the kingdom. We are looking forward to the kingdom. There's also the not yet of salvation. You may be a new creation, a person who has been um, made a partaker of that future age right now, but you have not become a full participant of that. The only proof that I need to actually demonstrate to you is, first of all, you're not yet glorified. If you woke up this morning and you had an ache or a pain, you're not yet glorified. If you went to brush your hair, those of you that still have that privilege, and there was hair in the sink, you're not yet glorified. Those of you who have to put on glasses in order to read are not yet glorified. And so here we go with the idea that, I mean, when I first met Kurt, all of his hair was black. Now it's almost all gray. Why? Because he is in the process of decay. The outer man is decaying, all right? Now, that's actually just a simple declaration of the reality that the outer man has yet to experience what the inner man has already experienced. And we are awaiting that in the future. And so, but according to promise, 2 Peter 3.13, we are looking to a new heavens and a new earth wherein righteousness will dwell forever. So that's what we're looking for as the people of God. We are actually a part of the new creation, but we're looking forward to the new creation. 1 John chapter 3, verse 1. Little children, it does not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him just as he is. Everyone has his hope in himself, purifies himself even as he is pure. And so it doesn't yet appear what we are. 
We are right now the children of God, for sure, but it does not yet appear what we shall be. Why? Because there's a not yet to salvation. What does that not yet look like? It looks like the transformation of our lowly bodies, Philippians 3.21, into the glorious body of his resurrection. Um, You're fully adopted right now, but Paul tells us that the fullness of our adoption is going to be demonstrated with what? The glorification of the body, all right? And so that that actually is the fullness of adoption, uh, the fullness of justification. One of these days, we're going to stand before the judgment bar of God, and what is true of us right now, which we own by faith, will be declared publicly before all of God's universe that we, as in Christ, are justified in him. And so, our salvation, although complete, and what I mean by that is you can't add anything to it, is still awaiting the resurrection of our bodies, which is glorification. We're still awaiting total freedom from sin, which is complete sanctification. And we're still awaiting entering into God's immediate presence. Now, what happens when we understand the, in a sense, the already and the not yet, then we understand that there is actually this, this tension that we live in. That's, that's letter D, the present tension. So we're living, if you notice in the notes, sometimes in the Bible, this period between the first advent and the second advent, known as the already and the not yet, is sometimes called the last days. But what is, what is happening is that there is this profound tension between inauguration and consummation. So let me, let me play out the present tension for you. 1 John chapter 2 and verse 8, it says that this darkness is what? Is passing away. Right now, it is passing away. It's not that it will pass away, and it's not that it has passed away, but right now it is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Uh, think about the text that we read with Heath earlier, 1 John two seventeen. The world is passing away. But the one who does the will of the Father abides forever. And so as we live in that gray area, that, that, that tension between the already and the not yet, we live in a world and in an age which is actually passing away before our very eyes. What about in relationship to the devil? How does already and not yet work there? Well, has the devil been defeated? Yeah, absolutely, right? I mean, Colossians chapter 2 and and verse 15 tells us that after he disarmed the principalities and powers, having made a public display of them, having triumphed over them through him, right? So Jesus, what Jesus does on the cross is he actually defeats Satan and the principalities and powers by his death and his victorious resurrection. We, we see the same kind of theme in, uh, in Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 14, where um, just as the children partake of flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same, so that through death he would render powerless him who had the power of death, that is, the devil. And so there is a sense in which Satan has actually already been defeated, but... He is also, as we were reminded earlier, a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. A real enemy. 
Uh, that's part of the tension. We live, in, in, in a sense, in, in, the, in light of and in the reality of a defeated foe, but that foe is, is, is still with us. Well, what about a relationship to, to the flesh? Well, the old man, Romans 6.6, 6, has been crucified. And yet... The flesh wages war against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh so that you don't do the things that you please. As Christians living between the first advent and the second advent, we find ourselves living in conflict we find ourselves living in, in tension. We, we find ourselves living in the tension between two ages. We, we find ourselves living in tension between <clears throat> two realities. And so a summary would be salvation and even sanctification are in fact eschatological realities, that is future realities. So the work of, the, work of Christ and the work of the Spirit in this age is actually an invasion of the age to come. The fact that you've been born again, the fact that you have been um, uh, brought to saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, the fact that your sins are forgiven, the fact that you've been adopted into God's family, the fact that you have been justified right now is nothing less than a profound invasion of the age to come into this present age. And so we can say that salvation has been inaugurated, but the not yet awaits consummation. Okay? Now, that fundamental tension actually then should frame counseling expectations. Everything that I just, I can't even believe I went through that in 22 minutes. There's a biblical theology of New Testament eschatology, right? And I did it in 22 minutes. My congregation would be so utterly impressed. But the fact is, is that the fundamental tension of living between the already and the not yet actually now frames our expectations in counseling. On the one hand... The tension should prevent us having what, what, what we could call either an over-realized eschatology. Okay? You, you, and, and I know that you guys are all biblically and theologically astute, but let me just take a second. An over-realized eschatology is the idea, like for instance the Corinthians. Some of them thought the resurrection had already happened. And what they meant by that was the, the bodily resurrection. Hymenaeus and Alexander had an over-realized eschatology. They thought the resurrection had already happened. There are people that actually think that we're living in the new creation and that this is the new heavens and the new earth. Could you imagine actually having that as your hope? Anyway, um, there's a name for those people um, and... There's a lot of names for those people. But um, to have the idea that, that, that God has done, in a sense, more for us than what he has done can lead to an over-realized eschatology. In other words, expecting too much of the not yet right now. Okay. Or you could have an over-spiritualized eschatology, which, which amounts in a sense to the same thing, because an over-spiritualized eschatology thinks that God has done so much of the not yet right now that it puts me on a, on a certain spiritual plane, a certain level of spiritual existence, which is actually just simply not realistic. And so the tension of, of the already and the not yet actually um, helps me <laughs> not to expect too much. Now, th this, is, this is not like um, 
We'll be really pessimistic, tell people, you know what, you probably won't change that much, shoot low, and you'll hit it every time, all right? It's not, it's not what we're talking about, but let me just ask you, how many, how many of you have ever run into that, that mother who has, you know, a whole passel of children, and she's absolutely thoroughly convinced that she needs to homeschool all of them because that's her God-given responsibility. She needs to bake her own bread. She needs to grow her own food. She needs to sew her own clothes. And she needs to be the Proverbs 31 woman. And, and of course, she knows that that's exactly what God requires of her, what God wants from her. And at heart, really, all she is is she's a perfectionist. And that perfectionism has manifested itself in certain um, motherly and domestic expectations that, 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 that maybe she's put on herself or her husband has put on her, and she has embraced those, and yet inside she's absolutely miserable because she doesn't live up to those things. I had a couple in my office an, a number of months ago, and... She was uh, deeply depressed, and the husband was um, doing his best to be understanding. He was doing his best to try to help, and as he looked at me, I I said, how long has it been since you've actually homeschooled your your kids? And the husband jumped in, and he he said, well, she hasn't had a a, a normal homeschooling day for about the last two months. And the wife's eyes just welled up with tears, and she said, try the last 12 months. She's living under this sense of what it meant to be a a Christian mom and a Christian wife. And she was thinking that somehow what she was was a spiritual superwoman. And she's not. Sometimes... An over-realized eschatology or an over-spiritualized one can destroy a marriage. Okay? Um, We're much more prone to think that the person that we're marrying is just about as close to glorification as a human being can come without the actual last event taking place. And then you find out that this person is depraved. And you have expectations about what marriage is supposed to be like. And you have expectations of, of some sort of blissful state. And, and, and all of a sudden, you start to realize that things are not really what I thought they were going to be. And, and how many, how many, how many husbands have, have put so many demands on what their wife is supposed to be and what their marriage is supposed to be and the, the happiness and the joy that they're supposed to, you know, I mean, good grief. We all know, we all know that marriage is not some sort of uninterrupted upward trajectory of pure bliss. It doesn't work that way. And actually understanding the tension between the already and the not yet actually helps us to come to grips with these things. Stop and think for a moment. I I, I doubt that there would be anybody here that would be, um, let's say, guilty of the health and wealth message. But that, too, is an example of an overrealized eschatology. I believe in health and wealth, eternal health and wealth, but not in this age, in the age to come. And so as we, as we actually understand that tension 
attention, by the way, which your counselee knows exists internally. Every time there is a tug between flesh and spirit, every time there is a, a battle between old man and new man, and I would suggest those battles are constantly going, we're just less aware of them at times. Every time you have that battle, every time you have that internal struggle, it is nothing less than a demonstration that you are living between two ages. But the tension should also prevent an underrealized present experience of the gospel and of God's spirit. So what I'm saying is that understanding this age, the age to come, the already and the not yet, on the one hand, that tension will help you from, from expecting too much, but that tension also will, will help you from expecting too little. So the person that is sitting there looking at you and says to you, this is just the way that I am. And I'm, I'm just, I'm not going to change. That is, a, that is a tacit denial of the profound realities that are already ours right now in Christ Jesus. The, the person that looks to you and, and, and says, you know what? Um, I mean, I've always been this way. I, I've always had a temper. I've always been angry. I mean, after all, I'm Italian. Or after all, I'm Latin. Or after all, I'm this. Or after all, look at my parents. Or after all. And there is this sense of, of absolute fatalism because of their sin. Actually, it is a fundamental denial of the already. How many of you heard people say, well, you know, I mean, once you're an alcoholic, you're always an alcoholic. These things aren't true. Why? Because the not yet, the age to come has invaded this present age. And there really is such a, a person as the Holy Spirit. And there really is such a power as the gospel. And there really is such a thing as not only the forgiveness of sins by the grace of God, but the transformation that comes by the grace of God. So... How do we apply this to counseling? What to expect in light of the not yet? Well, when somebody comes to talk to us, one thing that's important to remind them is that we're not yet free from suffering. We're not yet free from suffering. In fact, Paul talks about the suffering of this present age doesn't compare to the glory that's to be revealed. In other words, what Paul's doing is he's saying that there's, there is suffering that actually marks this present age between the two advents, but that suffering, which is a part of this age, doesn't compare to the glory that's going to come in the age to come. But, but you have to understand, we're not living in the age to come yet. We're not living in the not yet. We're living in the already, which means that suffering is simply a part of this life. And so what does Paul say in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 17? He talks about this light, momentary affliction is producing for us a far greater weight of glory. Now, now when, when you think about what Paul's saying, Paul is making a statement regarding the already and the not yet age and the age to come. So this already not yet age is marked by what? By light, momentary affliction. That's what life is like. But notice 
Paul says it's light and it's momentary. Well, that's great, but it never feels light and it rarely feels momentary. Well, that's because Paul's comparing it to something else, which is the future weight of glory. What's funny about that is that the word in Hebrew for glory, kavot, means heaviness. And so Paul's saying that when you compare the affliction of this present age with the heaviness of future glory, it's airy. It is, it is, it is absolutely light and, 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 and ethereal. Just, it's like a puff of smoke compared to the future weight of glory. And that future weight of glory is eternal. It lasts forever. Compare it to what you're going through now. And guess what? It is momentary. So right now, you compare it to the age to come, light, momentary affliction. Now, why is that important for us to understand that it's a part of the tension of the already and the not yet? Because when people come to us, oftentimes what they want is they want a way to escape present affliction. That's their expectation. It could be physical suffering. It could be relational suffering. But the fact is, is that both characterize this present age. Physical suffering obviously marks this present age. And so people get cancer and they die. People have heart attacks and they die. People get diabetes and live a painful existence. People get Parkinson's and Alzheimer's. And and, and there's all kinds of physical suffering, which is incredibly difficult to bear. But then there's also relational suffering, which is also a part of this present age, simply because... All you're surrounded by are sinners. Imagine that. A sinner surrounded by sinners having relational suffering. It's a part of this present age. Now, sometimes God delivers. Right? Sometimes He does. Sometimes... Somebody's going through physical suffering and the church prays and they pray for God to, to heal and they pray for God to deliver and, and God does. But my experience over 20 years now has been those are the exceptions, not the rule. And so, this last year, for our church, one of our, one of my dearest friends in the whole world, one of my fellow elders, went to sleep with his wife on a Lord's Day evening. They prayed together. Last words were, I love you, good night. And when he woke up in the morning, she was dead. a part of this present age. During the same time, two two lovely women in our church, real women of incredible faith and service to God, suffering from cancer, and it just ate away and ate away and ate away. Did we pray for healing? Of course we prayed for healing. We pray that God would deliver them from the cancer. We believe that God can, but we don't know if God will. And so we, we, we understand that when it comes to physical suffering. But then that woman comes in and she wants to talk to you and she wants her marriage better. Do you actually have a theological framework that says... The suffering that you're experiencing in your marriage right now is a part of what it means to live in this present age. 
Think about the woman that comes in by herself because her husband refuses to come in and he refuses to talk to anybody and he refuses to give heed to the church and he's off doing his own thing and she has, she has no grounds whatsoever to terminate the covenant whatsoever. Do you actually have a theological category that says, do you understand that God actually in this present age through our momentary light affliction is producing for us a far greater weight of eternal glory. You see, as, as, as a counselor, you can't fix all of the tensions of the already and the not yet. You can't fix the tensions that actually characterize this present age. And so sometimes God might deliver. Sometimes God may intervene and save that man and give them a glorious, beautiful marriage. And and God does that. But he's not bound to do it. And suffering is a part of this present age. I did a Sunday school series years ago. People thought it was absolutely terrible. It was marriage as suffering, affliction, and trial. Now, let me say, and I have two witnesses and and maybe more. I have a wonderful wife, all right? And I love my wife, and she loves me. And she's absolutely crazy, all right? She's crazy about me. Um, Most of the time. But one of the things that you begin to realize is if you go into the doctor and the doctor gives you a diagnosis and says you have this disease, you have Parkinson's, you have Alzheimer's, you have cancer, we we look at that and we say, you know what, God's in control of our suffering, God's sovereign over the physical suffering and God's going to teach me something through this, God's going to preserve me through it, God's going to do things to sanctify me, why in the world can we talk about that kind of suffering in those kinds of terms and yet we rarely talk about about, let's say, marriage in those kinds of terms. Maybe God's design in a difficult marriage is more about our sanctification than about our bliss. That's simply part of the already and the not yet and the tension that we live in. The flesh battling against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. So what to expect in light of the not yet? Not free from suffering. Not yet free from suffering. Not yet through with sin. Galatians 5.17, we've already quoted it a number of times. The flesh wages war against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh. By the way, spirit and flesh are, are actually this age, age to come terminologies too. And so there's this, there's this fundamental battle. And so somebody comes in and they have a, a, a deep struggle with sin and you want to help them. Let's say, you know, uh, Heath has written about uh, one of the, really one of the finest books on, on dealing with pornography. So you got a guy come in dealing with pornography. You want to help him. You want to actually give him biblical tools. He's, he's got the spirit of God. He has, um, he has the word of God. He's got the people of God. He's got the grace of God. You want to help him and you start to give him tools to actually fight that sin and overcome that sin. And he comes in and he says, Pastor, praise God, I'm finally sin free. Right? You go, wow, I had no idea I was such an efficient counselor. (laughs) No, we want people to make progress in their fight against sin. But let's say God does give special help and grace and, 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 and that man gets his, his foot on the neck of that sin and takes seriously be killing sin or it will be killing you. And he's mortifying the deeds of the flesh and he's using the means that God has given him. Do you know what he's going to find out at the end of the day? You know what he's going to find out at the middle of the day? You know what he's going to find out at the beginning of the day? That is that his 
struggle with sin is more than just this sin. It's with sin. And so all of us are going to struggle with sin and no sin, no sin, by the way, is ever dead and buried until you are. So the not yet actually should inoculate us from the your best life now fantasies. This is not my best life now. What happens after the second advent is my best life. And that's what I'm looking forward to. So, what to expect in light of the not yet? Not yet free from suffering. Not yet through with sin. But what to expect in light of the already? Well, as you sit down with that person and they're a believer in Jesus Christ, you're looking at somebody who is already a recipient of divine grace. You're looking at a person who is already forgiven. You're looking at a person in whom the power of the gospel is actually a present reality. And so when, when, we, when we talk about the uh, what to expect in light of the not yet, it might sound like I'm just saying, well, you know, we're just uh, miserable sinner Christianity advocates and everybody's going to sin a little bit every day. And so we're, I really try uh, to, to make any effort. And that's not what we're saying at all. In fact, I reject the idea that, um, that, that we should be defeatists because we actually have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. We have the Spirit of God who lives in us. We have access to the throne of grace. We can repent. We can fight the good fight. And my present reality, my present experience is the fact that I am a child of God right now. My resources are great. Sometimes trying to help people is is actually just trying to help them see what they already possess in Jesus Christ. What is already theirs in Jesus Christ. John MacArthur tells a, a story of a man who dreamed of going on a cruise. And he saved, and he saved, he worked overtime, he, he scrimped, he put his money away. Finally, he got the money to actually buy a ticket to go on a two-week cruise. And then he started to realize, I don't have enough money to buy food. So he started making peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. He'd get home from work, and he'd make like three or four peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and start storing them away. And so he goes on the cruise and has a great time, except at mealtime. And everybody else is, you know, guilty of the sin of gluttony as they go past these chocolate bars and the lobster bars and the tables full of food. And, and he's looking, his mouth is drooling. He goes back to his cabin and he eats a peanut butter and jelly sandwich. By the time the cruise is almost over, somebody says to him, Hey, I, I, I haven't seen you in the dining hall at all over these last couple of weeks. So w- w- where do you go? He goes, Well, I, I go back to my cabin and eat by myself. He goes, Why? He goes, Well, I, I didn't have enough money to buy the food on this cruise. And so I have peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. And the guy looks at him. He says, This is an all-inclusive cruise. It was all yours. It was all yours. And and in a real sense, sometimes what we're trying to help God's people see is the present provisions that are already theirs in Christ Jesus. And so we can expect growth. We can expect transformation. Remember that Romans chapter 6, a passage which Jim has talked about so much over the years. In Romans chapter 6, especially verses 15 to 22, there is a transformation that takes place in those who are in Christ. So we sang earlier tonight... Be of sin, what? The double cure. Cleanse me or save me from its guilt and power. 
And so if you are in union with Jesus Christ, you actually presently possess the blessing of the double cure, saved from sin's guilt by virtue of justification through union with Christ, but also saved from sin's power by virtue of sanctification through union with Jesus Christ. Both of those blessings belong to every child of God. And so we do have the Spirit of God. Yes, He's given as a pledge. Yes, He's given as first fruits. But He is living in us now. We actually have a great high priest who is actually presently interceding for us right now. We actually have the full Word of God, the sufficient Word of God. And we have it right now. And we have the body of Christ right now. And we're actually dead to sin and alive to God. And that's not just some sort of a pie in the sky hope. It's a present reality. And so we have great reason to hope that not only we, but those whom we try to counsel will change. They'll grow as they learn of their privileges and their identity in the gospel. And those who want to change do in fact change and do in fact grow. I am so glad for that. There is, there is nothing better. Tell me if this isn't true. In terms of counseling, there is nothing better than a person who comes in, who loves God, wants to grow for the glory of God, and therefore wants to deal with their problems biblically, and they have a desire to grow through it and be sanctified through it, and they actually listen. It's only happened once. (laughs) It doesn't happen very often, does it? Most people want what? An immediate fix. An instant extrication from from their present suffering. But then sometimes you meet that person that understands who they are and what God has done for them in Jesus Christ and they want to grow. And they grow. And so finally, counseling with an eternal perspective, we remind people that this present suffering doesn't compare with the weight or the future weight of glory to be revealed. We remind people that the outer man is perishing. It's reality. But the inner man can be renewed day by day. We remind people that we have an inheritance reserved for us in heaven and that we're actually kept by the power of God. We remind people that there is coming a day when there will be a new heaven and a new earth and no more death and no more sickness and no more tears and no more curse because the first things have passed away. And so as Christians, we have an eternal future and this present age, one of these days, will be a thing of the past. God's promise is that he will sustain us until then. So we should long for eternity. We should long for that ever-increasing joy. We should long for the consummation, completion of our salvation from all our sin and sorrow. And so as we deal with expectations in counseling, let's not unrealistically hope to experience the not yet future glory, but also let's not minimize the present power of Christ's glorious gospel and his spirit. Amen. Well, we have a few minutes, uh, questions, comments, protests, riots, demonstrations, outbursts, letters to the editor. All right, great. I take that to mean that I was so incredibly lucid and persuasive that you have no questions whatsoever. I see that hand. Yeah. You know, what has been your experience 
Well, I think sometimes we, we actually can do something as, as simple as take these texts, these classic texts, Romans 8, 18, 2 Corinthians 4, these kinds of passages, and, and ask people to actually try to think through, even write down, what is it about this present suffering that is actually temporary? So you have somebody that's dying of cancer. It's actually temporary, Right? Um, you have somebody in a, in a bad marriage. Well, it's actually temporary. Uh, actually have them think through, how is it temporary? How is it light? Now, this is, this is hard because when people are suffering and they're, they're in pain, they don't want to be told, you know what? Your suffering really isn't that bad. There they're, they're, you know, are people suffering in China. Right, but you don't want. But get them to think about how it compares to the future. In other words, we, we sometimes need to remind people. We can be creative in the homework, but sometimes we need to remind people that our faith is predominantly a future-oriented faith. What we are, what what we are looking to is actually not what God is ultimately going to do for me right now, but what he is going to do for me in the future. And, and, and trying to remind people that, that we do have that, that sense that what is faith? You know, faith is a confident expectation of things not seen, right? And so trying to get them to put that into that kind of pattern is sometimes helpful. Okay. All right. I see that hand and that hand. Uh, you, sir. Um, it's a very deep subject, especially for uh, the people that come through the doors. They don't read their Bible except for on Sunday. So for them to grasp that concept is a major thing. How did you break that down for them? Uh, get back to block one. I know I always start with their salvation, uh, but the reading of the word of God is, is minimal. Yeah. So it, it just makes it really hard. Yeah, that is that is certainly a challenge because you're trying to help you're trying to help set up biblical categories for people to have a perspective on their on their issues, and their own biblical knowledge is so limited that it's very hard, right? Um, but I do think that you can take some of these basic uh, categories and ask them um, simple questions. Even take take the issue of salvation. What what do you actually think God has done for you right? now what is presently true of you right now and I think that you probably would get something like um, my sins are forgiven those kinds of things and then you can turn around and say now what are you waiting for God to do for you in the future and so I think that there's probably some sort of basic instinctive sense of the now and the not yet uh, although it certainly is not going to be um, often fleshed out in the terms that we are talking about tonight. They're just trained on the present. Right, right. They can't get past them. Yeah, yeah. And that's, that's one of the challenges because as long as they're stuck there, then trying to help them is very hard. I saw another hand in the back. Yeah. Mm. And just tell them they're lying. No. Um, <laughs> um, well, they, they might not be, but if they can't change, then it's because they're not a Christian. Right? Um, and, and the thing that sometimes people, people get locked into the, sort of this fatalistic, um, this is just the way I am, this is the way I was raised, this is the way I treat people. And I think that what we need to do, I mean, at first, quite lovingly, I think, is that we need to bring to bear what, what does the Spirit of God actually do when he comes into your life? 
What is the fruit of the Spirit? The fruit of the Spirit is primarily relational. It's on the, the Spirit of God actually demonstrates His presence in our lives primarily by we, how we treat other people, right? And so I think just trying to bring those things to bear. One thing that's really helpful to me is um, uh, Paul's Corinthian correspondence. He starts out by talking to the Corinthians. You've been given every gift. You've got knowledge. You're in Christ. You're, you're flourishing. And, um, and then he starts to deal with their problems. So there's this, this, this is who you are. This is who you say you are. These are the benefits and privileges that are yours. Now, this is how you're supposed to live. But if you go to 2 Corinthians, by the time he gets to the end, he says, you need to examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. So I think that there's sometimes a progression that we make with people who actually refuse to change, who always make excuses to change, where we go from giving them the benefit of the doubt to over time maybe challenging them to examine themselves. All right. Thank you. Good question. Nine o'clock. Some bell is tinkling. I suppose we're done. Copyright 2015 IBCD. All rights reserved. More free audios are available at www.ibcd.org.